Uh, we're joined now by Dylan Cleaver, a sports journalist who uh, writes his own subscription newsletter called The Bounce. And today he uh, released a story he wrote around uh, the tale of a man who we know well in Carl Heyman, who probably could have spent a lot longer in the all-black jersey, but after 2007 decided to go and make some money for himself, and rightly so, up in the Northern Hemisphere. It's come out now that he is um, suffering early-onset dementia and the like. It is a uh, a very sobering story. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad tale, but it's a brave tale, Dylan, and uh, welcome to the program. Yeah, it is, Darcy, and thanks for having me along to talk about this because it's a really important topic. And I have to say some of the feedback that I've received today has been extremely gratifying and but I really want to emphasize here that the the hero of the story is Carl Heyman. It takes a hell of a lot of bravery to open yourself out publicly like this, to talk about, uh, it's not vulnerability so much. It's just a really, really difficult thing that him and Kiko, his partner, are facing. And, you know, his honesty was really affecting. It was, um, it was extraordinary in a lot of ways because he's a very private person. But his motivation is quite simply that he wants other people out there who are feeling like him to know they're not alone. He's joined in this class action, which has got, I think, around about 100 old players now, maybe even more, looking to take world rugby to task around their treatment and their warnings around possible uh, concussion, CT and the like. What do you think they're trying to achieve out of this class action? Yeah, the, it's not around treatment so much. It's around the warning that uh, I think the – what they're doing is there's nine claimants at the moment and uh, the law firm Rylands is representing about 150 players, of which at the moment nine uh, officially claimants. There may be more. I'm not sure about how the mechanics of that kind of legal uh, system work. But their argument is that um, World Rugby or formerly the uh, IRB were forearmed with knowledge about uh, what was then known as punch drunk syndrome. Uh, but they did not effectively convey that warning to its players, particularly when the game went professional and essentially didn't forearm them um, with the knowledge that repetitive head injuries can lead to serious cognitive issues later in life. We're a lot further down the track now, and this has been a story that's been gaining momentum over the the last decade. Do you think we're in a a better position the way these players are educated and the treatment of these players as far as their professional careers, Dylan? Absolutely, and I would be very quick to acknowledge that. I think probably rugby is one of the more proactive sports in this space. I think New Zealand rugby's done a lot of good things in the concussion space. I think uh, World Rugby has picked up that baton and are doing similar things. But the the problem is that it seems more and more likely that it's not concussion. It's not those really big symptomatic hits that we all see on TV and go, oh, that's, that's terrible. That's the problem. It's the actual volume of the smaller hits, the undetectable ones, the ones that you don't necessarily know at the time are affecting you. That could be the problem. And to that end, where rugby probably needs to look much harder at is the length of the season, the volume of games, and the, I guess, the space between highly physical games. And just as an example, you know, we laugh a little bit when 
the New Zealand uh, rugby coaches say, oh, we don't like seeing too many derbies back to back to back because they're just brutal when we get all these injuries. But there actually may be something there that you just cannot play that volume of incredibly hard physical rugby back to back to back. The big issue here, I suppose, globally, though, is the nature of who's running the game and who's paying. When you look at what Carl said in this article about he was basically a slab of meat playing over in France. He got the big money. If he was fit, physically fit, not about his mental space, he was expected to play. So how on earth does the game get everybody in line? We can't even work out a global season. We have trouble with our international windows. How do we get everyone on the same page? Is it even possible, Dylan? That is the... $64 $64 million question. And it's what the difficulty is you've got a game that's supposedly administered in Dublin, but really, World Rugby cannot tell France Rugby, the top 14, that it doesn't want them playing 10 months of the year. Uh, and, and like you've rightly pointed out there, we can't even get agreement on around international windows. So there is so much water to flow under this bridge. There's so much work to be done in terms of the global calendar. And one of the most poignant lines, I think, in that story was when Carl relayed the fact that when he made the All Blacks and went to a Players Association meeting, the topic of discussion for that meeting was, oh, we've got to get a shorter season. We've got to have a global calendar. And what are we talking about, you know, close to 20 years later? We've got to have a shorter season. We've got to have a global calendar it seems that we're doing this window dressing in all these other areas around protection of the head and changing the rules but we're not changing that fundamental aspect and that is pivotal it's still dylan though a little hot and cold when it comes to addressing we're not talking about the little concussions but actual full-on concussions on the park it seems to be that sometimes we still see players at a high level looks like they're out they get a quick test they're back in the park again i don't feel there's consistency in rulings around how players are treated once they've had an incident like that is that fair possibly i think there's a lot more awareness now and i think people are far more cognizant of the dangers to it. I guess why you don't get consistency is because human beings aren't consistent. You know, some react, some react completely differently to uh, a knock than other people. Some might look terrible for 10 seconds and 30 seconds later, they are speaking absolutely lucidly and seem fine. Others might seem fine at first, but then they're all over the show a little bit later. So I'm, I'm reluctant to, say that the kind of the medical people involved in these rugby teams aren't trying their hardest. I think they are. And I think there is far more awareness than there was even even five, ten years ago. I don't think we'll see incidents again like George Smith knocked into La La Land versus the Lions and then coming back, you know, a ridiculously short time later. I think those days are gone, thankfully. But you're right. I mean there's still there's great unknowns around head injuries that has still got to be figured out. As far as a warning and a shots fired across the bow of the game, how effective do you think this this class action is going to be around getting things actually done? You mentioned the, the glacial pace at which things are moving and the fact that it's not a united front. We've got a number of different unions and clubs in the like who are trying to address this. How far away from actually doing something or getting something done? And what, what will that look like, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to keep harping on about it, but a global calendar would be the first thing. Uh, how far are we? Jeepers, that's a, that's a really good question. 
Do you know what? There's, uh, this is a tangent, sorry, and it's a completely different topic, but a number of people have said in recent times that they're really looking forward to private equity coming into the game because these are the people that will finally sort it out. Now, I don't want to get into the long and short about why that might happen, but perhaps that is a positive for that and perhaps that is something we can look forward to. Dylan, one last thing. In talking to to Carl Heyman, uh, you made mention that sometimes he was um, you know, a, a little stilted, but he is a, a very shy individual. How did he actually sound to you yeah. when you were talking to him in, in this interview? You couldn't get down there due to COVID. I'm sure he'd love to have done it face-to-face, but what your, your general impression about where he is at in his headspace? I think he's in a, a much better place now than he was since he got the diagnosis. It's, it's counterintuitive in a lot of ways, but Actually getting the diagnosis has made things a lot clearer for him. He understands where he's at. He's got a good setup down there in the Taranaki with his partner, Kiko. They run a a boat firm. He's got interest in a farm. And, yeah, I think the next step for him is, I mean, this was tough for him. He, I think he mentioned it. He undernarred about whether he'd go public for some time. He really wants to let other people know that there are people out there that are struggling. And on that, we'll let you go. Dylan, thanks very much for your time here on Sports Talk on at News Talk ZB. If you want to read the article, you can find it on Spinoff or you can subscribe to Dylan's newsletter, The Bounce. I've done it. Didn't regret it at all. Great writer. Really interesting content. DylanCleaver.substack.com is where you'll find that. You can subscribe or you can get a free newsletter as well from time to time. Take a look. Well worth it. Uh, That story, though, wow.